We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Following, following the following the journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? Fourteen million six hundred and five. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd. With your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey into Comics. It's Journey into Comics 256. As always, I am your host, Nate. Today, joining me is the... Well, I don't want to call you Tony Stark to my team because he's dead now. So, let's call you... Let's call you the Bruce Banner of our team. Welcome back to the show. My co-host. You guys know him and love him. Welcome back, Tyler. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate the Bruce Banner reference uh, prior to the dab. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Pr- dab. The Professor Hulk dab. Can't do that. Mm-mm. Listen to your mom. She knows better. <laughs> you should have listened. I didn't understand that line. Like, why wouldn't you say she knows best? Yeah. That I, It's a little strange. By the way, speaking of Endgame, since that's the thing we keep frequently talking about, it's, like, very topical. It is about to be out on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm comes out in a couple days or is out to some people if you've pre-ordered it did you know that there's like a really huge gaff in the movie that people are freaking out about uh i'm not sure what you're referencing okay so go back to the start of uh the portals when everybody comes through and you see winter soldier he's like john 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 i'm walking Mm -hmm. through i'm all badass my name's bucky barnes i've got my hair down like i'm fucking ned stark Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden in the battle, he's got a man bun. What? So somewhere in the battle, yep. So somewhere in the battle, he's like either like fuck, I need to put my hair up, bitches, or they really fucking screwed the pooch and totally missed that one small editing decision. I don't, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, it's definitely in there. It's one of those like, like I think if you look at the first half of the battle versus maybe like the last like three to five minutes, anytime you see Bucky, his hair is definitely different, and it's like. So, I mean, I guess you could just say he was fast and put it up, but during a battle with Jatari and Outriders and the fucking um, Sakarans running around, mm-hmm. like, really? I don't think so. Yeah, I w- I'm actually pretty excited for uh, Endgame to come out on Blu-ray because I- I- I've talked about it briefly on the show before. I'm a member of the Disney Movie Club, which, you know... I won't be uh, once the Disney Plus streaming service comes out, but 
So, for anyone that doesn't know, the Disney Movie Club is basically Disney's version of Amazon, uh, like an Amazon slash like loot crate. Think of it that way. So, uh, when you join, you get like I think five movies for a dollar each. Any any Disney movie that's in their vault, you can select from. So I got Ruby a bunch of movies, and then their only stipulation to maintain your membership is you have to buy two movies a year for three years. You can basically, uh, like I've got my account pulled up right here. Let me look at my commitment status. So I have purchased five movies this year, and I'm uh, a VIP member now. So my member benefits... So, as a Disney Movie Club member, you'll always get great deals, but as a VIP, you are eligible for even bigger saving reserved only for our most valued customers. So, you get all, like, you get all kinds of, like, a free swag. Um, so, the, the featured title for this month, you have to either accept or decline each featured title. The featured title for this month is Avengers Endgame, the 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray Plus the digital code, you get a lithograph and um, a bunch of like uh, Avengers decals. You just got stiff, bro. Total price for that twenty nine ninety five. Fuck you! Oh my god, that's amazing. So, I mean, you get charged basically anywhere from fifteen to forty dollars a month, and it's a month behind, but. You get all kinds of free shit. Like last month, last month I got for Ruby all of the Cinderella movies. I didn't know there was three of them, but there is. Interesting. Uh, I thought there was only one as well. Yeah, there's three Cinderella movies apparently. But the month before that was Dumbo, the brand new Dumbo. So I got the 4K version of that. The month before that, um, I can't. I think it was uh, Cap Marvel. The li- yes, it was Captain Marvel. So I got the 4K version of that. The month before that was uh, the like the Disney Vault edition of the Jungle Book. It was the last time they were gonna, were going to release the Jungle Book on any physical media ever. Um, the new Mary Poppins movie, all all kinds of shit. So, uh. As long-winded as that was, I'm looking right now. I could bundle and save. I could get the 4K version, all that shit additional of Endgame and Infinity War for $41. So you could just get... Do you already have Infinity War or no? I don't think I do, actually. Oh, wow. So you're just like, shit, for another 10 bucks, I can get the other movie mm-hmm. and then I'm set. That's an amazing deal. To kind of piggyback off amazing deals featuring Disney, you also mentioned Disney Plus. They are going for broke, brother. Mm-hmm. They want your money. They want my money. They want everyone's dollar. They said, you know what? All that cool shit we're going to give you, Star Wars, Marvel, Disney stuff, everything you could imagine that we have from Fox now, mm-hmm. 13 bucks. We're going to make it the same price as Netflix. Fuck you, Netflix. Holy shit, bro. Like, yeah. I was not expecting that much of a power play from Disney. I, You know, there was... And, I mean, it's not even just Disney+. Plus. Let's mention, you're getting Disney+, Plus, uh, ESPN+, Plus, and I think another channel like Nat Geo or something. Hulu. It's a three-pack bundle. 
Hulu. It's Hulu. Yeah, I'm fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. It's Hulu. For twelve ninety nine a month. What? Yep. I really so So I'm, essentially for ahead. a Hulu fan, someone who's paying someone who's paying for the full full Hulu account, right, with no commercials, mm-hmm. eleven ninety nine right now, mm-hmm. one extra dollar and you get all that other shit. That's crazy. The, the only stipulation that is crazy the only me. stipulation is with that bundle, it's uh both of the pluses and Hulu with ads. It's not without ads. Oh, so it's both the pluses, which are obviously their own streamings, mm-hmm. but then the Hulu is going to have ads. Yep. So what Skylar and I have talked about, we get Hulu with ads for free because I pay for Spotify premium every, premium every month. If they do a bundle where I can just get ESPN Plus and um, Disney Plus... For say ten ninety nine a month or or whatever it is, then I'll just do that and then because I'm already getting Hulu for free, so yeah, you don't need to have two accounts of Hulu, mm-hmm. one of both of which have ads, right. just like fuck. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I'm excited. Uh, I I really I took a lot of uh, or I took I got a good chuckle from Iger the other day when he said that uh, the twelve ninety nine uh, price tag was not uh, intentional that it was exactly the same as Netflix. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean... Was, here's a better deal. Come on. Like... I mean, they... Netflix, Netflix, listen. Netflix has continued to increase their, their library and their catalog and try and keep subscribers, uh, you know, like... It's weird because Netflix, like in the beginning, you know, I've been a Netflix member since they were sending fucking DVDs to my house. And, uh, like, I've never, there's been very few occasions where I've sat down every day and watched Netflix. I basically don't ever touch it. My daughter uses it a lot. My wife uses it a lot. So, you know, I kind of have to have it. But, like, when, when I already have YouTube TV... So pretty much anything that's on Disney is already on there. If I get the Disney Plus, I'm going to have even more Disney shit. At what point do I need Netflix for at that point? Because all the Marvel stuff's gone. All the Star Wars stuff is going to be gone. Like, unless they really... All the Disney stuff is going to be gone. All the Disney stuff's going to be gone. So unless they, they... like really double down on their their Netflix original stuff, which some of it has been really really good. Um, it, it it's going to take I mean, a lot. They've said that that's what the plan is, you know. But they have they have said like we are going to be going. I actually I feel like they didn't. They just say recently like we're not going to double down on original content this next year. I, I but then I feel like I can't with everything remember. changing you. Yeah, with Nef I feel with Netflix they are they're very wishy washy. They say that like we don't want to do original content. But there are so many. There's like over 150 original content shows on Netflix. There's no way you could have watched every Netflix original show. Like you could watch the headlines, Orange is the New Black, Stranger Things, mm-hmm. you know, shit like that. But uh, House of Cards, another example. But like, um, at this point, I, Netflix is in troubled waters. I think mm-hmm. they might have really, like I said, really great content. But people don't, like you said, you said it best, I'm not going on every day to watch Netflix. Usually I'm using Hulu, or actually, even though I don't have the Hulu, the YouTube TV or whatever, I use YouTube to watch almost everything. Mm-hmm. News clips, uh, sports stuff, behind-the-scenes shit. I just, it's an easier access way if I'm all of a sudden thinking of something. The cool thing about Netflix, too, is you know, 
I'm searching some shit. Or not. Uh, I didn't mean Netflix. I meant YouTube. Fucking brain doesn't work. It's too early. Right. But like, I'm searching. I'm searching YouTube. I watched some fucking cool video that I didn't know even existed, and then another cool video I didn't know exists shows up in a thing you might enjoy, and you're like, oh, fuck yeah. So I've been really getting down with that, man. Mm-hmm. But when I'm using uh, Netflix, it's literally, what are we gonna binge this couple days? Binge it. We're done. Yeah. Totally. Totally agree. Um. Uh. And then, like, I don't know, I don't know if you saw this. I'm maybe not, but I think you might get into it a little bit. There's a show on Netflix called Blown Away. Mm-mm. It's a glass blowing competition. See, I get and that's like, one of the things that I really like about Netflix is some of the like some of the more obscure shit that's on there. Like, it's kind of like the diamond in the rough. Like, okay, I'll check this glass blowing contest out for a minute, and then you fucking really dig it, you know. Binge the whole season. Mm-hmm. Each episode's only like twenty minutes. Oh, that's so it's perfect. A super, it's like a it's like a five hour sit down if you really want to get through it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's artists. It's not like just like dudes making bongs and shit. Like it would be totally cool to me if that was the show. Right. But it's not. Every every episode's like here's the challenge. The first challenge is with glass. You need to make something that represents you as an artist. I think. And this guy made like a full hand with a fucking globe in the hand, and it was awesome. Wow. I think ultimately what's going to keep Netflix kind of in the fray or, um, you know, relevant is their their commitment to documentary series. Bingo. 100%. I mean, they are, you know, it, it doesn't matter what network the, the documentary series originates from, whether it's a Netflix original or, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, like, Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, Na- National Geographic, a lot of documentaries like that. And, you know, for people who don't have cable, that's the only way that they have access to those. And I think, realistically, that's one of the only things that's kept people around um, for as long for as long as they have. No, man, I think you hit the nail on the head documentaries and i've mentioned this on foodies i might have mentioned it here they hold a special place in my heart i would much rather learn someone's true story that's like way stranger than fiction Mm -hmm. than read a book that's like okay i kind i mean like i love comics i love the comics we're going to be talking about today especially but like if i'm choosing a medium to sit down and watch the ones that are going to make me never stop talking about them are documentaries and i think that you know, you, you nail it with saying Netflix is at the top tier for that. I think HBO is also top tier for that. Their documentaries are, are on par with some of the greatest of all time. Um, so, and it's like weird in this day and age, you know, I think about being a 2008 uh, man, having my first real apartment, uh, getting Dish Network, having, you know, uh, your cable phone service you know for your landline Mm -hmm. shit like that and then i think about like that person spending two i spent two hundred dollars a month on cable back then bro yeah i i before i switched to youtube tv i was spending 200 bucks a month on cable and you think about it and you're like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute so now now when we moved up here different experience i was like i'm not taking dish with me everywhere i move because who knows it's too much of a hassle Mm -hmm. Why don't we just switch to streaming? We can have internet. We'll stream everything. And it's been the it's like a godsend. It really is. You 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 end up spending like oh thirty to fifty bucks for whatever streaming services you want total. 
because you're only going to get two or three of them. You're not going to have every single paid for streaming service unless you're a rich person. Right. You know, and even then you're not going to use them all. It's like, why even have your HBO, you know, and in this modern era, you know, we all are, you know, you're not going to, no one's going to agree to agree, but we all secretly love democratic socialism because we're all like, hey man, do you have a Netflix account that I could fucking use? Cool. Oh, well, you know what's awesome? I've got a fucking Hulu account you can have. And mm-hmm. You're like fucking bitching, bro. Well, that's one of the thing, that's one of the things that I really like about YouTube TV is when you sign up, you get like nine accounts that you can use. Holy shit! So I haven't really quite figured it out yet, but like, as long as they are within your family, they they have access to those accounts, and they're they're totally unique. So it's not like if you and I are watching it at the same time. You have to watch the shit that I'm watching. Your your soul your account is totally solo from mine. It's just a part of my subscription that I Network. pay for, basically. Yeah. So that's crazy. If you are really smart, I mean, the super smart way would be like to find four or five friends you really genuinely trust and be like, "Look, you give me ten bucks, mm-hmm. you give me ten bucks, you give me ten bucks, you give me ten bucks," and we all get it. And it's a much better play, right? You know, PayPal me, motherfuckers. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, man, you know, I love that we kind of went on this little tangent of, of streaming stuff because we're not even done yet. Like, HBO Go is a thing this year, mm-hmm. but this time next year, HBO Go is dead. That's not even going to be a thing anymore. Really? You're only going to be able, well, yeah, because they're going to HBO Max, mm. which is Warner Media. So, Warner Media, the overarching branch that has DC and all that shit, are saying, look, we want all the HBO shit. We want all the DC shit under one super umbrella. HBO Max make everybody come to the same place. Now I don't know if that's actually going to affect the DC streaming service, especially. Well, it just depends. I think they're already struggling, anyways. Um, but did you see the trailer for that? By the way, Titans no. season two. No, I have not. <laughs> I fucked up in not telling you to watch that before the show. Oh damn. Um, so. First of all, season one of Titans was phenomenal, but season two, just in the trailer, man, it's like, boom, they tease Aqualad, wicked, boom, they tease Superboy, boom, they tease Crypto, you see Wonder Girl, you know, Starfire with her full powers, Raven beating that ass, Mm -hmm. boom, Jason Todd's Robin, boom, Deathstroke. Okay, I did did see the Deathstroke clip. The fucking shot is Deathstroke. Oh, so what did you think of how Deathstroke looked in the co- in the in the uh, in the show? Looks fantastic. He looks like the first appearance of Deathstroke. A lot darker, obviously. They didn't make him so piratey and full colored, but that just like brooding mm-hmm. demeanor was like, oh shit! Like Arrow got nothing on Deathstroke at this point. Yeah, I like I really dug it. Um, I let me look real quick. Sure, man. I gotta look, look away. I gotta look something up. I will mention it's not Manu Bennett playing Deathstroke in the Titans universe, which is sad. Maybe it is. Who knows? I guess that we can't officially say that because we haven't seen him unmasked. But you could assume they probably aren't going to go with the same guy. Oh man. Sorry, folks. I had to like take a deep breath. Sometimes it happens. Deathstroke will be played by Asai Morales. I don't know who that is. I'm looking it up. Oh, okay. Um, he played uh, Bob Morales in La Bamba. 
He's on N- NYPD Blue, Caprica, Ozark, The Brink, Jericho. Here. Ooh. Let me. He's in Jericho. Yeah. Let oh, me. Shit. Uh, let me hit this cool little button here. The future. Okay. He's hitting the screen share button. Let me. Let me share. <laughs> Do it. Okay. Can you see that? Yes. Okay, it's that guy. I can see that guy. So I okay. so I downloaded the extensions so I could screen share with you. And uh it's this cute it ha- it gives you the cute little option of of doing the full screen or just a browser window or just a Google Chrome tab. Wow, mm-hmm. that's wicked. Look at you figuring out the future. I am a I am a um inquisitive little rascal. I thought you were going to say you're secretly a member of Stark Tech. I was like, bro. If I was a member of Stark Tech, I would not be living where I do. Also, I think if you were a member of Stark Tech, we would have way more advanced options for podcasting. Mm -hmm. Other than, let's hook up through Facebook Messenger. (laughs) I would just teleport to you. Like, hey, bro, I'm here. I'm I'm into that. That'd be wicked. Did you see that guy who kind of... He kind of did a, a, a an Iron Man type thing because he used a jet propulsion thing to fly over the English Channel. Mm-mm. Okay, so he tried it one time and failed. He got like three quarters deep and and plummeted into the thing, and they had to save him. Wow. Yeah, it was like oh shit. And then the second attempt, he's like, I'm not fucking around this time. He had he had said that the reason that he did so poorly the first time is because he didn't start with enough acceleration and it didn't carry him like he thought mm-hmm. so this time he just fucking punches it and he is doing 250 miles an hour over open water on Jesus. just like this like foot jetpack thing it is crazy it was the craziest thing i've seen i was like holy shit but he does it dude in like 45 seconds across the whole english channel whoosh god damn that guy's got some sack yeah man i don't know if i could do that I was thinking about that, like, a mixture of, I'm not sure if I'm more terrified of drowning, burning alive, or heights, just in general. Because heights are just, like, one wrong move and you die. Well, it's, like, I don't know, it's tough. Because I've, I've, I don't know, working in the dangerous fields that I've, I pretty much always have, like, you you have those conversations. And it's like, well, if if you're going to burn alive, you're going to have excruciating pain for a, for a, for an instant and all of your all of your nerve endings are are just toast. They're gone. So you just you're you're in shock and then you die. Um, Sounds pretty awful. Yeah. If you drown, it's like it's more it's almost more psychological because once once your lungs fill with fluid, you're I mean you're donezo. You know you just you just go to sleep. Um, and then like I think falling from. It, from a very high elevation would be the worst way to go because after a certain distance at a certain speed water becomes concrete so yeah you're a couple you're a couple hundred feet in the air you're falling you hit terminal velocity you know 30 32 or 35 feet per second whatever it is you're fucking cooking and then, oh, yeah. and then you hit the water, and like you have that that whole time before you before you hit, knowing what it what it how bad it's gonna hurt, and then 
and then you and then you know nothingness yeah. essentially and then you, you're gonna feel it for a second and then you're not mm-hmm. which really you might not even feel it you know just thinking so about quick. It like that exactly thing it's really interesting that you bring that up again tangent city today but i was just watching an article on uh, the news the other day some girl in louisiana is um officially in court and she's got charges against her for like they, I don't think they're calling it attempted murder because she wasn't trying to murder this girl, but it was like um, aggravated assault or something. These girls were all like with their boyfriends and whatnot hanging out and jumping into this river, you know, from like a high distance. Mm-hmm. And this girl was like, I'm not sure. And this girl just goes, boof, and pushed her straight the fuck off. She broke like both of her arms, fucked her leg up, like messed her neck up because she, wa- she just got thrust into falling she wasn't prepared for it at all you know so she hits like a ton of fucking bricks mm-hmm. um and they got that on film so it's 2019 you're going to jail baby mm-hmm. you're going to jail baby mm. oh that's sad man anyways yeah it is sad the girl's okay she's all right like the the lady that fell she is okay um it did fuck her up i think more psychologically than anything you know which why how wouldn't it um but anyways We've had a nice little tangenty riffing beginning of the show. We're good and loosey goosey now. Are. I think we've got some some comic book stuff to cover, and I didn't say news. Tyler, last night I got a really weird idea in my head. I was like, "What if, what if we read some comics for Journey into Comics? Mm-hmm. Like, what if we read books?" Okay, and I sent you a message. I was like, "Hey, man." I found this book. I think we should read it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in the in the box. Like it's super good. It's worth a read. And you read issue one, like probably within like the same hour or so that I read mm-hmm. issue one. But I continued on to issue two. You were like, I'm gonna I'm save issue two for fresh in the morning. And I read through to issue two, and I was like, oh my god, this is one of the best comics I've ever read. Like easily, easily. So I was super stoked and anticipating this morning. And your first text that I got was like, dude. Issue two was amazing. I was like, I know, I can't wait to talk about it. So, what are we? What are we talking about? What are we reading? What are we doing here? Well, uh, to add a little bit to what you said, um, sure, please do. You read issue one last night. I read issue one last night. We both read issue two, and I said, hey, there's another part of the story that we're not getting. And spoiler alert. Or not really spoiler alert. Let's pull back the curtain and, and and finally unveil what we're talking about. We're talking about House of X and Powers of X. So, oh man! So uh, writ- written by Jonathan Hickman, who is a legend in the comic book game. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna pull something up while you while you talk about that. Yeah, man. Uh, one thing that really interested me about this story was that. You know, first of all, I said I just said it. Jonathan Hickman, in and of itself, is an amazing creator of comics. He's written some of my favorite books, and I'm not just talking Marvel, man. While he did do Marvel Avengers in 2014, 15, in that run, which was like 36 or 40 books, leading up to um, the the new Secret War that they ended up doing, which was also Jonathan Hickman's Secret War Two, was a lot of his idea. He also did this offshoot series for. I cannot think of the Boom Studios or something called God is Dead. And it's like super weird existentially 
futury. Ooh, hey, look what you pulled up. Can you see? Look at you being all smart as you can be. Can you see what I'm looking at now? You are looking at the official reading order for House of X, Powers of X. Okay, that's what I was trying to pull up. Excellent. So, like like we said, we read issue one and issue two, and this morning I, I kind of shot back like, hey, we should read issue one of Powers of X, because it's it's in between one and two. We kind of read them out of order. Um, and this this is kind of what, what took me by surprise. You know, issue one, it's an introductory issue of House of X, like, a lot of crazy concepts are introduced, and you, you see some different iterations of characters, and then you go on to, to House of X issue two, and it's just, it's firing on all cylinders the whole time. It's making you think. It's making you think about possible different um, different paths that characters go down or, or, or will go down or have gone down. And then you go to Powers of X, and it's a totally different story. You see a little bit in the beginning of the issue of what takes place in House of X issue two. Which, if we would have read them in the proper order, was more of a tease for issue two. Correct. But then but it, it was it still, it still worked and served as a cool... It still worked and served as a cool... As a backstory mm-hmm. or a, a flashback. Go on. But what, what I've... What I find so engage or like interesting with this is you know it's got this reading order and it's you know what i'm showing you right now it's just a white page and you know it's got the x logo nothing nothing really um uh like crazy or or out of this world but you see just in the lower left hand corner it says two series that are one and i've always really enjoyed the like uh, not necessarily choose your own adventure stories, but but stories with multiple perspectives. It's not just here we are in the in the fortress of solitude, looking at at Superman, and you only get Superman's perspective. Um, you're getting a shit ton of different characters right out of the gate with this, and all different perspectives. They're already they're already teasing like little behind-the-scene motives of, of people that might not necessarily be relevant in the first couple issues, I'm I'm sold, like, right away. I, I couldn't say it better myself. Uh, this book does a great job, like you said, of jumping around. The first book is more like an ensemble piece. It features a lot of different players on the board all at once, and I think that one thing I really appreciated about... Okay, let me mention... I'm talking House of X now. Mm-hmm. We should make sure to denote that I'm talking House of X 1. House of X 2 is a total departure because it like strips away all those characters and says, hey, we're going to focus on this one, and we're going to retell her story. She's already been a character that's existed in the, in, the, in the X-Men universe, but giving her a whole new power and a whole new skill set mm-hmm. also breeds way for a possible future with the MCU it also gave gave us a really beautiful look at the past of the of the X Men lineage and said that she was there. She was a, she's been a part of all of it. This character has always existed, even if she didn't necessarily know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then of course, Powers of X is like I said, it, like you said, it's like a bookend tie into that first part of uh, part two of House of X. It's confusing. Um, but then also it like jumps you way into a different time frame, and you're like seeing a different. Well, I think you're really seeing the same character's timeline just way further removed. Um, 
So let's back up, peel this thing back. Let's talk a little bit about House of X and what the storyline actually uh, kind of encompasses here. As Tyler said, there will be spoilers. We're going to be diving deep into this one. So if you haven't read the books or you don't intend on reading the books, depends. If you're not intending on reading the books, please keep listening. We're going to tell you how it kind of goes and some of the things that happen. If you intend on reading these books and you don't want to be spoiled both the big plots of the story, wait. Come back to this one. Come back to this one. So... Um, Kicking it off a little bit with the first book, you have the resurgence of mutants. Professor X is kind of a different entity now. He's like kind of permanently wearing Cerebro. And he's walking. And what's up? And he's walking. Very well, yes. He's 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 got use of his legs, which I think is probably Cerebro, you know, using whatever. But you learn that Krakoa is the thing that they've created. It's a utopia for mutants. Mm-hmm. Um the mutants are essentially like, hey, uh, just so you guys know, humankind, Homo sapiens, you got about twenty years left, and not we're not threatening you. Literally, if you look at the map, you guys are going extinct. You have about twenty years. We've been replacing you without even meaning to. It's just how genetics works. Mm-hmm. The stronger species will survive. Homo superior. So, uh, being the sucker that he is and the soft-hearted person that he is, Professor X, like, hold up, we have this place called Krakoa. It's our utopia. And there we have these flowers that we can turn into medicine for Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. And we have three different medicines. You're going to have to fill me in on the third one because for some fucking reason, the, the, one of these isn't sticking with me. I, I remembered two of them. Okay. You have the one that is, is um, it gives you um, immunity. Like, you're not going to get sick. It's like a super... Do you want me... I, I've got them pulled up. I've got them pulled up if you want me to just read them. Sure, go ahead. Please do. Okay, so human drug L... Delivery mechanism, fabricated synthesized pill. This flower produces a drug that extends the life of a human for five years. That was the first one I couldn't remember very well. Continue on. Human drug I, delivery mechanism. Same thing, it's a pill. All three of these are pills. This flower produces an adaptive universal antibiotic, a super drug for humans. So the first drug extends human life. The second drug basically makes humanity immune to disease. This antibiotic will take care of any everything, cancer, um, you know. Uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, any, any just, disease just that exists. Anything. And then the third drug is also a pill. This flower produces a drug that cures diseases of the mind in humans. So the first drug, or the second drug, I'm sorry, combats diseases of the body. The third one takes care of diseases of the mind, so schizophrenia, um, bipolar disorder, Alzheimer's, uh, you know, multiple, yeah, I mean, just multiple personality disorder, like like any disease of the mind, depression, anxiety, uh, you know, the whole the whole gamut of diseases, um, it takes care of it. And so he's essentially saying, look, we know you only have 20 years left. If you all take these three different kinds of pills and it becomes a part of your regimen, mm-hmm. you're going to live for five years longer than you already were based expected to live. It's going to eliminate all the disease that's going to cause you to die. So your life expectancy is going to go even longer then. Mm-hmm. And then the mental stuff that's going to break down is not going to be there. So you're going to li- live longer even then. So he's really saying here, I'm going to offer humanity a utopia too, because it's going to we're going to cure you of all the things that have fucking ruined your your kind. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come with like a hey, this is an offer. We hope you take it though. <laughs> Charles is like, look, 
this is the deal. It's not negotiable. You're fucking doing it. It's an ultimatum. Exactly. This is how it has to be. And I just, I just want to pause here real quick because, like, just, you know, let, let's rewind and, and go back to just the cover of this book. Sure. So I pulled this up late last night. I, I sat down to read it. I expected to see, because I had not heard about this until, until you, you brought it to my attention. I expected to see traditional uh, kind of art style for characters, um, you know, just kind of kind of what we're used to the norm with the X Men. And I pulled, I opened this up in in the uh, pulled it up on my laptop, and I see Charles Xavier standing on his feet, wearing Cerebro in this all black like jumpsuit, looking very light. Because in my mind. You know, especially when he's been in the chair, Xavier's always kind of been like a stocky dude. Yeah. You know, he, he's been so broad up top because he doesn't have his legs and he does everything either with his mind or with his arms. But, like, he he's so lithe and, and, and almost frail looking and, and, and he's got this pose uh, walking out of this portal. And, you know, Magneto looks like Magneto always does, but he's got the, the silver color scheme. Um. Jean Grey looks different. She's back to Marvel Girl. They, mm-hmm. They're kind of peeling it back to the more of the old school style. Cyclops has got uh, a totally different um, kind of get up. And I love in the issue that you sent me, it's kind of the director's cut. Later on, you get to see like all of the iteration in some of the like deleted scenes or, or, or just director's cut material. You get to see all of the iterations of Cyclops, all his different costumes and stuff, and that was really neat. And then you've got Wolverine bringing up the back, claws out in his brown and yellow costume, just just looking swole. Looking um, vicious as ever. But in the first couple pages of, this, pages of this issue, you know, you get to see... The first one that you get to see is Xavier, and then you get to see uh, Cyclops, obviously. Uh, Storm, Colossus, uh, looks like... Uh, Beast. Yeah, who's who's on the moon? I'm pretty sure that... that I think that's Nightcrawler. Is Nightcrawler, yeah, look at the hands. Mm-hmm, and, and yeah. The- who, who Who's your guess is on Mars? I can't tell who that is on Mars. Actually, the the way it's drawn, I'm 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 uncertain of that uh, figure. Their head um, looks like an onion. Yeah, kinda. Uh, I'm trying to see here. It looks like you've got um, maybe Kitty Pride in DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly Emma Frost in mm. uh, it, it with the two weeks ago. I mean, I it's they they don't fully show. You don't see the full character. You're only seeing an arm, the mm-hmm. the torso, the hands. You know, of right. a distant pose. They're being really elusive, but they're kind of showing you that there's a lot of growing happening. Mm-hmm. And that was where I wanted to go next. With you know this in the comic, there's this really. There's obviously the art is really unique and, and I'm really digging it. But this page that is is describing the drugs for humans and and it's breaking down what the flowers of Krakoa are used for. It's got a four mutants tab, and it's got gateways, habitat, and no place. The gateways it says delivery mechanism flower. All three of these are or the flower. 
This flower grows a gateway, a gateway from where one is planted to its twin gateway on Krakoa. So basically, part of the, the drama in this issue is that wherever these flowers are planted, it creates a gateway back to this utopia. And the world's governments are concerned that you can transport an army instantaneously, and that's bad juju. So It changes all of strategy and military history in an mm-hmm. instant. Uh, the second one is the habitat one. This flower produces a habitat. A habitat is a soil-sustaining environment, or self-sustaining environment. A biome that is part of the interconnected consciousness of Krakoa. So later on in the in the book you 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 start to realize that this flower this these these environments that it creates are sentient and then the last one is this non-naturally occurring flower produces a habitat that exists outside the collective consciousness of Krakoa a place within the island ecosystem that Krakoa doesn't know exists a Krakoan tumor i don't you don't really see anything about that in the first book, but I'm excited to see where that comes into play later on in the, in the series. Absolutely. There's, there's with this first book, you know, like you said, they set up the different, and I have it pulled up as well, the flower of Krakoa, what it does for mutants, for humans, the drugs that it offers and whatnot. But um, that's not it only. You know, one thing I really love, too, is that the habitability of Krakoa. Uh, Gene is introducing some young, possibly new mutants Mm -hmm. to the world. And she's like, look, there's a main place where we all kind of stay. But if you find a place that is is, you're all about it, don't let that stop you. Mm -hmm. Like if you find something that makes you feel at home, be at home. That's that's what this place is for. Comfort of mutants, you know, giving Mm -hmm. us the right chance. I really like, too, while we're talking about that, later in the issue, they give you basically a map of the island of Krakoa. It's in the Pacific. Just it up. Yep. So they actually give you, like, um, a legend of what each location is on the map. So you've got the House of X, so Xavier's house, House of M, Magneto's house, Arbor Magna, the arena, uh, Academos Habitat, so I would assume that's a school. Transit, the Oracle, the Grove, the Cradle, the Reservoir, the Wild Hunt, and Carousel. So these are all... Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm guessing Wild Hunt is probably something with their wildlife. Maybe they're new mutant animals Mm -hmm. that will at some point be ventured to. That was the one that kind of stuck out to me as weird. Also, the Cradle. I think we get introduced to that at some point in the next book. Mm -hmm. But I, I really like that it just doesn't like this this first issue doesn't feel like a first issue in a lot of ways because like you get the drama like you get the the plot hook that mutants have given humanity basically or professor x has basically given humanity this ultimatum that you will either exist with us peacefully or you will not exist exactly and, and then they tease all the the stuff with the drugs who's to say that Ten issues in, the drug wasn't, uh, you know, a masterminded plot by Xavier. You have the the possibility, or you, you, you get the tease of all these different timelines that, that this plays out in. So the story is already, um, you basically already know the end of the story on, on how they, through issue one and issue two, and with powers of X issue one, 
kind of how the timeline plays out. And then all these places just on the island of Krakoa, I would imagine each one of these is going to play a very pivotal role in the story going forward. Oh, yeah. And, and the one thing I think is really awesome is that they did it so smart. Six issues of House of X, six issues of Powers of X. That's 12 issues mm-hmm. over 12 weeks in a way that you can tell a story that's banging, bam, 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 and doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of big themes in this. What did you think of uh, the Easter egg of the new spaceship that's out in uh, orbit somewhere? I really, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, when I got to that part of the book last night, I was a little bit confused at first. Um, and then once they started to break down that this is a uh, doomsday safety protocol from, from S.H.I.E.L.D., S.W.O.R.D., HYDRA... You know, all the major organizations that were a part or, or on Earth. And then you see, you know, the you see the underside of the spaceship in the first couple panels. And towards the last couple panels, you get to see the whole thing. They're orbiting Mercury. They're really close to the sun. And then you see that giant sentinel head, you know. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, shit. that This place is called the Forge, I do believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are like reconnaissancing there, getting getting themselves together. There's something called the Orcus Protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to read through the Orcus Protocol, yeah. or would you like to? No, I, I was getting ready to, but you can go ahead. Okay. Um, so I'll just try to brief this really swiftly here. It says, Initi- uh, initial establishment of doomsday network based on evolutionary research regarding the extinction level population density of Homo sapiens superior. See the Cro-Magnon problem by Dr. Alia Greger. Recruitment of, assess, uh, of assets in the strategic organizations, AIM, Shield, Strike, Sword, Alpha Flight, Hammer, Armor, Hydra, as well as funding from black budgets and other human-centric financial considerations. Absorption and adaptation of various organizational assets into next-generation infrastructure built for Doomsday, operating under the premise that there are areas of concern, population, financial, and territorial, ORCID assesses established watchdog programs to observe undetected mutant influence. Mm -hmm. And then I really like how at the bottom of this panel it gives the makeup of what ORCIS is. Yeah, who is kind of the leading the charge, who's mm-hmm. most in control, who's least in control. Good to note that Hydra is as least, far as we Least can, in control. At least that's what we think. <laughs> right. Because S.H.I.E.L.D. could always still be Hydra, which means then that Hydra would have like the most control. Right. Um, and that's how they operate, so we'll just have to see. Uh, now we go to the observation two years ago. They observed that the population alert instances of X gene activation have spiked along with the reemergence of established mutant alpha types long observed as active in the mutant cause. Six months ago, financial alert long observed shell companies wholly owned by the mutant activist uh, Charles Xavier quietly purchased the seventh largest pharmaceutical company in the world and recently announced three new drugs, which poised to destable that industry and spread throughout global financial sectors. Two months ago, territorial alert, the mutant nation of Krakoa established. Observation ends. But now we've got protocols enacted, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, they realize that the mutant repopulation and reappearing at a higher rate isn't not, it's not 
going to the regression like they expected. The analysis of uh, growth patterns and mutants revealed that if not for Genosha, mutants have would have become the dominant species of Earth within 10 years due to cascading biological and cultural mutant positive variables. But what Genosha brought mankind was time that they didn't know they didn't have. Dr. Greger's new line, timeline suggests humanity has 20 years left. We mentioned mm -hmm. that before. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is kind of more official. And then we shift completely in the story, which mm -hmm. I kind of, again, appreciate. We're getting a little chunk of this story of space and what's going on with the forge and why it's there. Now we're moving into the Brotherhood of Mutants and Mystique and Sabretooth are on a, a smash and grab. With what? Toad. With Toad. Oh, yeah, with Toad. I forgot that Toad was there, too, being fucking Toad. Weird Toad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. I normally I would complain about, like, jumping from one story to the next, but this is, like, each of these little almost vignettes that you get are complete. So, like, everything, yeah. everything that happened in the last couple panels before we got, or we get to seeing the Brotherhood of Mutants do the smash and grab, I'm content with everything that I saw. I know I know every piece of information that they just gave me is going to be relevant going forward, and now they're on to the next thing that we have to know about because it's relevant moving forward. This, this seems to be a series just through issue one and issue two that is um, dependent on you looking ahead in time and not fixating on what's happening right now absolutely and i think that's great storytelling because what it does is it doesn't say look here is um we're just going to use an example here is all of magneto's timeline in three books mm -hmm. and then once you're done with magneto's timeline we're going to go back and fill in other gaps it's giving you the gaps as you move through it Right, And at some point, we're going to have all these dots really connect. And I think that's when, as the reader slash as the reviewer here, we're going to be like, holy shit, we thought this story was good when we were blind and not having all the information. Now we know what's actually going on. Holy fuck. You know, like it's it's really leveled up here. Right. But uh, a surprise team appearance shows up in House of X, man. And I was stoked to see them them show up. I know you're not really a huge fan, but maybe this book will change you. Well, I I kind of liked the, and and we'll we'll get to the 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 standoff that we get uh, in the next couple panels. But I'm really one thing that I can't, and and you educated me a little bit right before we started recording. But I cannot praise enough the artwork in this in these books. Yeah, Hickman definitely demands a certain style from his artists. And let me make sure I say this artist's name right, because I always fuck it up. Hold on. Where is it? Uh, Laraz and Garcia worked with Hickman on this. I can't think. Laraz, what was there for? Uh, Pepe. Pepe Laraz. Yeah, Pepe Laraz was the main artist. He probably did the, the pencils and the sketches and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the name that I always fuck up. It's Mar I think it's Marte or Marte. It's M-A-R-T-E, not Y. Garcia. And he was the color artist. And uh, again, it's 
it's definitely Hickman saying, look at the other works that I did with these stories, with these characters when I was writing in 2015. Mm-hmm. Take cues from some of those designs, but we also need to level some people up, give some people. Because I really appreciate them going backwards and, and making Jean Grey Marvel Girl again instead of forcing her into that Phoenix archetype. Like, she's always got to be that character. Right. But then they also move way forward and have the most modern version of Cyclops. Like he is in his and, – and, and the same can be said for Magneto as well. And, of course, mm-hmm. Wolverine seems old school. So I love that they kind of like balanced the art and kind of used a little bit of everything. Well, and just – you know, we, you get the first couple panels of the, the Brotherhood of Mutants and you see Sabretooth. You know, he's all like, for lack of a better term, he's fucking beast mode right now. Just you see him standing over the over a pile of fucking security guards, and you know Mystique looks good. Toad looks like Toad does. You know he's he's a Toad. He's squatting. Mm-hmm. And then you know the Fantastic Four shows up, and you get Sabretooth and the Thing squaring off, and it just. I mean, I'm not a Fantastic Four guy. And if this was a Fantastic Four book, I would probably keep reading it. Yeah, exactly. It just it's all it's all on who writes it, man. That's one thing I love about comics. No character is a bad character if the story serves that character well. Right. Um. And and I I honestly was not expecting the Fantastic Four to show up in this book, so I totally marked out. I was like, Johnny and Thing are here. What the fuck? <laughs> like, what's happening now? You know. Do you? And then when do you? Do you think that they're going to be a reoccurring group through this this run of books? I feel like because Reed is such an important character not just to the X or not just to the Fantastic 4 but to the overarching Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. I think in that way, yes, and we get that a little bit later on when you see uh he and and Sue show up. Um but I don't think he's going to be like a primetime player. He's going to be more on the fringe. You know, maybe he's the voice of reason to help Charles see that humanity needs saving and not <laughs> destroyed. Or, or you know, we don't know what the ultimate intentions are right now. So far, right now, we think everything seems um, sweet and like it's for good altruistic reasons. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So we get we get uh, to a. Uh, uh, the next panel, and it's it's one it's another one of the kind of like uh, office documents that's labeled damage control. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cliff note this one, but it's basically like all the major uh, like not necessarily artifacts, but um, items of power that that were are are uh, rolling around in the world from either Stark or Reed Richards. And it's got a really cool list of all the shit that the, that uh, uh, damage control has collected. And w- one thing to mention for anybody who's like damage control, I'm not sure. Look back to Spider-Man: Homecoming if you need a, an MCU reference, because they're the people that were taking all the crazy Chitari weapons away from Adrian Toomes and company, and saying, "No, these are ours." And and one thing to note, they say that you know this current iteration of damage control, which I think is um, I can't. It doesn't say who's actually leading it, but they, the reason that they are taking all these things that usually would have been left to the hands of somebody like Reed Richards or Tony Stark is because Reed had been missing for a long time, and of course, everyone assumes that Stark is dead in this universe. So mm-hmm. the rights to the material are kind of being contested in court. That's also a thing that's kind of going on with damage control. 
Um, current yeah. in, current inventory in the damage control contested storage facility is made up almost exclusively of advanced schematics and disassembled material created or owned by Reed Richards and Tony Stark. You've got Souls Anvil, Souls Hammer, the Bridge, Iron Man Mark Five, Six, Seven, Eight, Rescue Mark One and Two, Anti Proton Sling, uh, Multiversal Beacon. It's pretty cool stuff. The Multiversal Beacon is a super cool callback to that um, it's the Secret Wars story because the Multiversal Beacon, if I if I'm remembering correctly, is what Reed uses to tell the other multiverses like. Um, we're crashing into each other. We need to figure this out. Right. And like, here we are. Find us. Find us. So I love that little callback. Of course, obviously, the Iron Man Mark uh, 5, 6, 7, and 8 armors are relevant. Rescue is cool mm-hmm. uh, for Pepper. Um, but then we go back to the... Essentially, we haven't really talked about this so much, but you've got a group of investors who are coming into the habitat of uh, the mutants at Krakoa to essentially see around the place and get a feel for if this is something they want to deal with, they think. Like they think because it's it's negotiations. Essentially. They start they started in Jerusalem and then they 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 um man my brain my brain just froze up for a second. Uh, they started in Jerusalem and now are they they are taking this uh, group of investors or dignitaries from place to place that these flowers have been planted to create these habitats. And one thing, there's one lady who seems like she's super firmly against it. Like mm-hmm. she's pressing back on the constant. She's not sure if anything, or I think it's the lady, right? Or am I misreading the bubble? No, I'm pretty sure it's the lady. She's like not on everybody's same page. But then, you know, as we kind of go through them doing the quote unquote sales pitch, explaining why things are going the way they're going. You know, you actually mentioned this earlier, but they talk about the gateways being an instrument of war and changing the, um, you know, the rules of strategy, as it were, because you could just show up on top of your enemy. Right. Uh, But then before we finish this, again, we're kind of jumping around here, you know, uh, they're like, aren't we going to Krakoa? And... You see Magneto, and I love it. He's just so stone face. You have heard Xavier's offer. This is how it's going. We're this. We're gonna inherit. We're taking over this world. Essentially, we've been offering you this. It's an ultimatum, but you're not coming to our world because it's our world alone, and man is not welcome there. Mm-hmm. Oh I, shit! Yeah, I, I fucking love that line, dude. <laughs> He's like not even just drawing a line in the sand. He is saying. You need to recognize how fucking serious we are right now. Mm-hmm. It's not a line in the sand I've just drawn. It's a wall that I built right in fucking fuck in front of your face. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and and historically, you know, some of the most compelling, like not not necessarily just dialogue, but you know, the, those feel good moments are when the two most powerful characters in the X Men. Or, or at least the two most notorious between Professor X and Magneto, if those guys are on the same page about something, it's serious fucking business. Oh yeah, super serious. Like they're not they're not fucking joking. Nope. Because those two go. I mean, you go way back to the origins of the X Men, and really, in a lot of ways, they are on the same page. They just have the diff. It's 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 not. 
it's like different ideological values that mm-hmm. I think over time you've seen Magneto stay like, this is how we have to be, Charles. And Charles like, no, 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 we have to give humanity a chance. Everybody's good. And everything has gone to shit consistently. And Magneto's right. like, bro, no, seriously, you need to listen to me. They are the problem. Charles is like, oh, you might be right this time. My bad. Let me give that one some thought. Yeah, let me think this one through. That might have been a spicy one to digest for a second. Mm-hmm. You're right. They kind of have fucked everything up, you know? Um, so we jump back in the story to uh, the Fantastic Four battling with, you know, uh, Sabretooth, Mystique, and Toad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess it's the Fantastic Two, which is kind of a little bit of a tease because they were the first two brought back before Reed and Sue returned. Right. And then you finally get just such an epic panel, Sabretooth trapped in a in an invisible cube. Mm-hmm. And the fucking Fantastic Four shuttle drops down, and here's Reed and Sue coming out just like straight up badasses. Full on fucking beard. He's got the beard. He's bearded up. He looks like who? Who does he look like? John Krasinski. So much. It's it's insane how much he looks like John Krasinski. They have to be making this the thing. I just I know it in my bones. Mm-hmm. Um. So Sue notices that one of the gateways is got someone coming through, and we get a very interesting, uh, you know, reunion with Cyclops and the Richards family. I love so like when he when he walks through the portal. His dialogue is, ah, how wonderful, the Richards family. And when I read that in my mind, I almost read it like smug. Like, oh, of course, it would be these four, you know? Yeah, like, uh, of all the people to be dealing with this problem, they would be the ones to Mm -hmm. step up. Of course, I've got to now negotiate with Reed Richards, the smartest man on earth. Mm Mm-hmm. But I will say, it kind of shifts on you, and there's really a um, a friendship there. There's a really yep. nice camaraderie between not just Reed and, and Scott Summers, but all four members of the team. Yep. I really I really like the, the top panel on the next page where Cyclops walks right up to Ben Grimm, shakes his hand, congratulates him on getting married. You know, that's a, that's a feel-good moment. And I think it's like they lead with all these feel good moments for how the conversation moves forward. Yes. Because it oh, takes I'm a total so, turn. I'm so glad you noticed that too, because tonally you're right. It, it, it's very lighthearted, and you get this moment of like almost a uh, like a, a lump in your throat. Like, oh man, it's so cool to see Cyclops like a good guy again, and he mm-hmm. is altruistic again and has not gone crazy with the Phoenix Force. And. And things are starting to kind of have some normalcy. We're starting to recognize in the uh, you know Marvel comic universe. Both these teams being in one book is very very significant. I need mm-hmm. you to recognize because these teams have both been shunned. They've been written off. They've not had merchandise made because of the Fox owning the rights to these characters. Technically speaking, so these. All these characters, all the X-Men, all the Fantastic Four in the recent years haven't been getting the love they quite deserve. So to see them all together here, 
you do lead with your best foot forward. You do show that there is like some love there and they are still on the same page and we are all still superheroes for it to take a very serious turn, to be Mm -hmm. very like, we're not fucking around here. And I love on the opposite panel when we're getting more serious, you know, uh, essentially what we find out is Cyclops is there to amnesty the Brotherhood and let them go back to Krakoa to face judgment there. Mm Mm-hmm. And Reed's like, what? No, I can't just let these people go. What are you thinking? Like, They just stole some sensitive information. We can't just let this happen. And then on the on the, the next page, there's like a panel of the two facing each other. And it's not... One thing I love about the artistic style here is they split it. It's not one panel with two faces facing each other. It's one panel with one facing one way, with the other facing the other way. And it's, it's meant to show not unity. They aren't... Mm-hmm they're diametrically opposed right now and cyclops says it's upsetting i know but i'm afraid we uh i'm afraid we are um being serious and uh new beginnings demand a wide berth reed richards fires back immediately immediately with then i think i have a problem with that which for him to say he thinks is funny because it's like no he has a problem he's just being it's all semantics right now right but i love and appreciate this too is that scott kind of notices the severity of this and he's like you know what not my hill to die on this one's not worth it we'll let you guys keep him but i I really love the way that they drew the bottom of this this page where you know he's he's getting ready he's ready to blast if he needs to yeah he almost winks with it yep but then he then he pulls you know he takes his hand off the triggers so to speak I think he was outmatched. Honestly, Reed could have stopped his blast. I mean, it might have killed him, but it would have protected people. He could have been invisible shielded. Mm-hmm. His power versus uh, Johnny would be interesting, and I think Thing could just knock him out. But anyways, I think that the rest of the team is staying calm. They're trusting Reed to lead the conversation. He's led them to the right path. He's like, you know, like I said, Cyclops is like, why don't you keep him? We'll deal with this some other time. In some other way, he's like, you know, we'll, we'll we're maybe we're going about this the wrong way. There's there's better diplomacy to have. Mm-hmm. And Sabretooth loses it. He's like, what? Don't fucking leave me, bro. Don't do that to me, man. Shut up. <laughs> just like, just it's you're it's fine. You're just take it. Um, I, I, now I love I love the middle panel though when when Sue is questioning kind of the the Krakoan motives and. This dialogue bu- bubble is incredible. My family, and this is Cyclops speaking, my family has spent our entire lives being hunted and hated. The world has to, the world has told me that I was less when I knew I was more. And that, th- like, as you're reading this, like the beginning, it's like, okay, Cyclops is recognizing that, that he, he you know, the mutant species has been downtrodden. And then as it transitions into that next bubble, it's like, in my mind, it's almost something that Magneto would say and not something that Cyclops would say. Yes. it's it, he, Again, influenced. Everybody is starting to hear the chimes because how long have they been doing this round and around? How many years do we have to deal with the humans letting the mutants down and hunting them and chasing them, just like he said? Did you honestly think that what we were doing or that we were going to sit around forever and just take it? It's really very simple, Susan. I believe in what Charles Xavier is doing. Please greet your son for me and tell him when he's ready, he has a family on Krakoa waiting for him. 
um, which I'm pretty sure means that they're not necessarily alluding, but I think they're confirming Franklin is part mutant. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting. So, oh, and we actually learn about that on the next page because of the Omega level and the Omega protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to fill in, people, Omega level mutant is a mutant whose dominant power is deemed to register or reach an undefinable upper limit of that power's specific classification. For example, both Magneto and Forge are the most powerful mutants in the power types on the planet Earth, magnetism and uh, technopathy respectively. But what makes Magneto and not Forge an Omega level mutant is the upper limit of Forge's measurable power could hypothetically be surpassed and in fact has by multiple humans on the planet, uh, while the upper limit of Magneto's powers cannot be surpassed in any measurable fashion. I really, uh, I really love these, like these documented write-ups that they that they have sprinkled throughout this book. Yeah, it's like dossier files. Like here's the mm-hmm. details. It's it 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 one hundred percent adds to the immersion of being in this book because, like, you go from that last panel and then you get here and you're like, okay, you know, what what am I going to read about? And it's like, oh shit, you know, they're talking about talking about the cream of the crop essentially you know franklin is technically the most powerful mutant in existence and doesn't really know how to use it or know it right like reality manipulation universally speaking (laughs) talking we're talking uh scarlet witch house of m power times like infinity Uh uh-oh well especially to like you know Cyclops hints at that in that in the last page, and then down here towards the bottom, Franklin Richards, alias Powerhouse, reality manipulation, Universal Alliance, human, and it's all in it's in bold or red lettering. So, is Xavier and Magneto, or are Xavier and Magneto going to try and sway? Uh, Franklin's uh, alliances later on in the books? Um, are they going to create a rift in the Richards family to then have that next level mutant on their side? I, I, I mean, I, it just makes sense, you know? Well, and one thing to notice, it's it very important that as of right now, Franklin is the only mutant aligned with the humans. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is either Krakoan, none, or unknown. And then it says down here, while it is, this is the Omega Protocol officially, it says, while it is believed that greater, uh, that a greater dynamo is possible through collective means, it is currently a priority for the mutant nation of Krakoa to protect and nurture its greatest natural resource, Omega-level mutants. Mm-hmm. All efforts are to be expanded in order to secure the future of the state. One people, one tribe, one family. Bingo. I dig that. Me too, also, as well. The next couple panels, uh, we jump back to the habitat that that was created in Jerusalem. Uh, Magneto and the group talk about how they chose that place because it's the center for human religion. And let me find... uh, Let me find the dialogue bubbles... 
Oh, okay. So I, I'm gonna. Fa- if you're okay, I'm gonna fast forward through some of this. Sure, please do, man. I, feel free to take the reins. It, it's it's a lot of dialogue. You've got uh, five or six pages of, you know, the dignitaries, you know, talking about how they're either interested or not interested in why one of the individuals has a gun. Magneto calls him out on that and takes it away, which which is a really interesting scene because like the guy is floating in the air and he Magneto takes it away from him and he says I wasn't going to use it it was for my protection and Magneto retorts with of course that's how it always starts you know like why would you challenge why would you challenge us we haven't done anything to you um but here here's what I wanted to get to this is one of the ambassadors. So you summoned us here to Jerusalem to what? Threaten us? And Magneto says, a promise is not a threat. And I summoned you to this place for wholly superficial reasons. You see, I know you humans, or I know how you humans love your symbolism almost, almost as much as you love your religion. And I wanted you, I needed you to understand you have new gods now. <laughs> oh, fuck. And that's and that's, that's the such a... and that's the last line of dialogue in the book and t- I mean if this if this story was totally contained in this one book A+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, it was a banger for a first issue just just laying the groundwork for this story. Um one thing I want to notice before we get too too far away, the panel the page right before this final page in the comic the top part of that panel is a Magneto shot with the sun behind him. Mm. It is one of the best comic panels ever. Mm-hmm. Like it is the uh, the imagery, the the iconography, just the imposing. He really is setting up. If you look at it now and think about him saying we have new gods, he is godlike in that image. Right. He's lording over this small human man and even gets up in his face, you know, and says, "You are all wolves." You know, just straight up calling him out, and then. Uh, you know, like you said, that's that's book one, right? And uh, the like you said, the director cuts shows all the different variant covers. Shout out to John Tyler Christopher for doing a variant for this book. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, but before we get into the director's cup, not not. I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, you're okay. Please, please, please. F- for Magneto to mic drop at the closing of this book is just fucking incredible because, like, the first say the first quarter to the first half of this issue, it almost feels like like Magneto is almost uh he's on mute. You know, he's he's not um He's biting his tongue. He's biting hard. his tongue, thank you. He's not he's not rallying mutants. He's not, you know uh he's not spouting propaganda. He's not doing what Magneto normally does. He's just calm and real casual and just doing what Xavier asked him to do. And then you get to that last panel. You have new gods now. And it's still, you know, you brought up the last page with the the scene of the sun behind him. This one's got it too, that last panel. You know, and it's, it's, it's glinting off the helmet. It just looks fucking great. It just sets up for this, like, uh, it it literally builds intention naturally. Mm-hmm. Like you already know that the mutant human like uh, rapport isn't necessarily stable, 
So to have him just be so firm, so calm, like that should terrify them. He didn't freak out. Like all he did when he took that dude's gun was disassemble it completely with his powers. He didn't mm-hmm. kill him. He didn't put a thing through him. You know, he set him down. He got in his face and he, he just told him how it was. Like this is not negotiable. Nothing is going to change. What are you going to do? Stop us? You can't. Mm-hmm. And Magneto says, um, I have a new, this is a, another one of the dossier pages that they kind of bookend each issue with a, a first page uh, saying and then the last page saying. The first page saying was, uh, humanity, while you slept, the world changed, which I loved from mm-hmm. uh, Charles. But then from Magneto, I have a new word for the lexicon of man, Krakoa. And in the future, when you speak it, make sure you do so softly and with proper deference. For we will be listening. (laughs) This it's so brooding. It's so brooding. I love it. Absolutely. And then uh, you know, obviously, all the director's cut uh, material. This shit. It just looks great. The the like I said earlier in the show, the one with all the different Cyclops iterations is probably my favorite variant cover because I really dig it. Um, but JCT's cover of Magneto, mm. man, it, it's badass. He just uh, like not only is it just that he does these cool like action figurey, you know, covers. Mm-hmm. He puts thought into like how would the hands be? What different? You know, there's a bent piece of metal which also kind of looks like a ribbon for awareness, but. Maybe it's for mutant awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, all these covers are awesome. They have some throwbacks. Uh, we really get to dive into some cool shit in the next issue, which I'm really stoked to talk about. Uh, they also did a Scotty Young variant here. They also give you the script in the director's cut, which is like what the original... It all. The really cool thing about the script, man, honestly, and I, and I want to mention this here, is if you look at the script... It literally shows you how to make a Marvel comic. Mm-hmm. Here's what you do. Here's how you block it. This is what you do. And I love that there's some stuff redacted because there's obviously secrets he doesn't want everybody to know. Some stuff that maybe gets used later. Right. Or didn't get used at all. You know, so there's, you know, the blackout, whatnots. Um, and then at the end, they show you some, like, the, the art as it happens with... Um, different cuts of the images that they used and didn't use and how they used different panels and you that's know, what I'm going through right now it looks it's super cool because it's sketched out there's the black and white versions and they've got them colorized with no words so you're kind of seeing how a book is made really it, it, mm-hmm. it's you know you you come up with a script then you find your sketches you get the the visuals how you kind of storyboarded it then you move into the process of lettering after you've got it all colorized i mean it's really awesome to peel this back into just for them to show all of these things is really nice mm-hmm. okay and th- all right so we're gonna move on now uh before we move on to issue two issue one rate that bish uh nine out of ten all day i'm right along with you i can't i honestly can never give a first book a perfect score I feel like that just makes it impossible for any other books in that series to get close to it. 
but it it deserves it really does deserve this much attention and uh and that much praise because it does put a lot of story into a very small time frame gives you a lot of different worlds and places to work with that you need to learn about and then again when you get thrust in the next part now I need to ask you I know we read it out of order do we want to review these in order and talk about powers of x1 now well I was actually going to present this to you why don't we leave uh not necessarily close the episode here but leave the house of x issue one with this episode We'll do Powers of X next episode, and then yes. we'll go. So then, so then every episode is basically an issue behind, so we're not waiting every week to do it. Oh, dude, I love that. You're so smart. I love that we just came up with that live on the podcast. We'll save it. It doesn't well, over-encumber our, uh, our fans. Yep. Because especially because I, I feel like if if we talk if, say we talked about issue two today you and I loved issue two I, I feel like way more than we loved issue one so hundred percent I I would like to take a little bit more time with issue two and um I, I don't just necessarily realize what time it was yeah I don't necessarily have that time today so sure um, yeah man I don't want to run you late uh, I do want to close with one thing that we loosely talked about Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago that officially got confirmed that I think we can kind of wrap up the show with a nice little bow here because it's official, man. Andy Serkis is directing Venom 2. That's incredible. Woody Harrelson returning to possibly play Cletus Cassidy, I I think. Mm -hmm. I I think it's confirmed that he is going to play Cletus Cassidy Oh, they have confirmed it since. I I think it's confirmed now. Sweet. I, I may I may just be misinformed, but I, I I thought I saw an article two days ago maybe that said um, it is confirmed he he agreed to come back and play Cassidy. So uh, I also heard that Tom Hardy has helped writing the script, which would be cool. Yeah, and and you know okay, and I said this last time we talked about this, Andy Circus. Being a part of this, he's already really close with Disney. Amy Pascal has been teasing the possibility of Venom and, and Tom Holland Spider-Man working together. Is this the first step we are officially seeing that like is showing we are moving forward with this plan? I think so. I think so I, too. I, I think that even even if um, you know, say Venom Two does fantastic, and, and Sony is steadfast saying, "Nope, uh, Andy Serkis did it for us. We're going to keep making." Venom movies and and uh, you know one or two more Venom movies and we're gonna keep doing our thing and you know stay off my lawn. This is our shit. I still think that with the rapport that Circus has created with Disney and just actors in Hollywood, because hearing that 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 Tom Hardy is going to assist Andy Circus and the writers with the script. I think that's one of you know obviously his mocap or, or motion performance is is kind of that's Andy Circus's thing. Totally. Like that's he, his world. He he is literally like the uh, revolutionary behind mocap. He he brought a renaissance to that industry with with the performance that he brought or brings every time he suits up and. 
I think his biggest strength, other than his mocap, is his collaboration. Well said. Yes, his ability to work and understand other people and 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 be a positive muse and not be necessarily an asshole. He knows how to speak to the people he's working with. I think is, uh-huh. and, and and a lot of think that that has to do with being. Look, Andy Circus has become a, a household name in the past five years, but. 10 years ago, even when he was maybe more at the height of his career than people realize, he was an unknown person because of how much mocap he was doing. I mean, for God's sakes, he's Gollum, you know, first and foremost. It's like, that's one of the biggest roles he ever, he will ever have is Schmeagle and Gollum in the Lord of the Rings series. And that was, you know, early aughts, like what, 2003 or so? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's almost 20 years ago at this point. Holy shit. You know? Right. So I, I think, you know, his his like at, at least for me as a fan of his work, um, you know, his mocap is is flawless. Uh, he, he is educated enough on the the effects industry now. At this point, you look you look at the movie that he did in Mowgli. It, it, it's flawless. It's one of the best adaptations of the Jungle Book, and maybe the best, in my opinion. And he's so passionate about what he's doing, whether he's acting or directing or, or, or performing in mocap. I just, you could not, you may, have, you, you may have been able to pick a better director to, you know, to, as far as experience goes, um, actually being the one behind the camera. But overall, I mean, just think about it. One of the biggest gripes for people in the first Venom movie was the CGI. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I didn't. I didn't think it was too bad. There was definitely a, a good portion of it that was was cheesy or pretty shoddy. You get Andy Serkis being the one pulling the puppet strings. It's not going to be that way. He's going to pick on all the shit they didn't quite nail the first time. And be like, hey, here's how we're going to improve this. We're going to make this better. I don't know why he didn't do that for Black Panther, though. Thank you for <laughs> recognizing. You and I are the only two that ever bring it up. No one else will will say, you know what, that movie wasn't perfect. Well, it wasn't perfect. I don't, and I don't, honestly, I don't think there is an MCU movie that is quote unquote fully perfect. I think that Black Panther. Far from home, is pretty close. Far from home is pretty fucking close. You're right. You're right. But, but Black Panther. <laughs> While it succeeds in many things, great storytelling, lovely cast, you know, deep emotional, uh, bigger than superhero themes. Uh-huh. Those rhinos were fucking dog shit, brother. And they still to this day look like, you know, when, when you see it in theaters, I don't think you really pick out and judge the rhinos or the thing you're mad at. But when you said it to me, I was like, now I'm going to look and see what the fuck is up and like... Every time I watch Black Panther now, I'm just like, here come these fucking stupid blurry rhinos. Like, it's not good. But it wasn't. It was just. It was. It was so comical to me. And I'm. I'm sorry to tangent on Venom, folks, but it was so comical to me because the first thing that I noticed was how much blur Black Panther or Killmonger had during fight sequences and action and 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 whatnot. And then it gets towards the end, and you've got. You know, you've got the miniature Civil War-like type conflict going on, and, and there's lots of drama, and you're, you're going to get the, the, the triumphant showdown between Black Panther and Killmonger, and these fucking rhinos show up, man. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and the, the CGI is is shoddy. And then not only is the CGI shoddy, but then you've got blur. Like, come on, come on, Disney, you can do better. Well, and I think they do do better. They definitely did with Far From Home. The CGI in that oh, movie yeah. is like oh, yeah. far and away the the CGI in Black Panther, and and maybe that's what's to say the difference of two years in a movie is or one year mm-hmm. was it one year or two? Did Black Panther come out last? Holy shit! Black Panther came out last year. Is that right? Yeah, because it was yeah, Black it came Panther, out, came out in February. Infinity War, Ant Man, and then it was mm-hmm. Cap Marvel, uh, End Game, Far From Home. But all the difference one year makes, man. And the CGI and Endgame and Infinity War is leaps and bounds ahead of of of, of Black Panther as well. So, right. Um, all in all, man, all the Marvel news is bright. I did see a, a a dark ding in the Marvel news with an investor, but it's politics. We're not doing politics this week. If you want to check that out, go tomorrow and listen to Poor Three Sixty. He'll give you the best news. Or if you want to listen to a very special conversation that I'm going to be having, I'm going to be doing a conversation on guns for The Voice of Survival this week. And uh, that I I haven't really planned it super far ahead. It's mostly a statistical show and just breaking down the facts and what we know and things that work and don't work and whatnot in that nature. But um, I feel like we as a people should just try to better each other. And that's what I want to do. So uh, before we get out of here, folks, let's hit us with them hard and heavy plugs. We got the Journey Into Comics podcast on the Journey Into Comics network right here at journeyintocomics.com. I feel like I need to find a better way to say that all once. Go to the Journey Into Comics network for the Journey Into podcast. Oh, guys, see, I fucked it up right now even still. Um, Nate, uh, quick issue real sure, quick. Sure. What uh, what hour mark are you, or what time stamp are you at on the Korg? One hour and 28 minutes. Okay, uh, my uh, setup quit recording eight minutes ago. Okay, which is about the same time stamp as last week. Mm-hmm. Weird. That is strange. There's some parameter we need to figure out here, but I'll do the same thing as last week, and I'll just buffer you over and and make it work okay we haven't had any real lag issues here at the end of the show um but folks you can check out the journey into comics podcast at journey get us on itunes podbean stitcher radio google play music spotify Castbox, tune in many others just go to journey or search journey into comics network on all those all awesome lovely platforms or go to patreon.com backslash journey into comics throw your money our way and we'll do something special with it i promise Tyler, thank you so much for joining me this week on another episode of Journey into Comics. Journey into Comics 256. I've been Nate. And I've been Tyler. We'll see you folks later. Pop your caps back and fill your brains with shit. Later, guys.